Hey, Hans is dying. No, he's not. But I want you to sign up for patreon.com slash so I can pay him each month to do this program with me so he can live a bit more comfortably. In return, you're going to get exclusive episodes of Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema, and also episodes of After Dark, Nietzsche Influential Films of the 20th Century, which is a video series in which I will be covering uh, movies that had a lasting cultural impact in the era in which they were released. You'll also get Glue Addict, a reality television program starring myself and Hans and also Jake and Jerry from Civic TV, and Kenny, who is, of course, everybody's favorite. Patreon.com slash lowres. Again, it's $5 a month. This is typically where people who host podcasts go, oh, it's just a cup of coffee. You can't afford a cup of coffee each month. Some people can't. If you're a bum, if you're living on the street, if you got schizophrenia and, you know, and you're playing with knives all day, you probably can't afford my Patreon. But you, you who are listening to this, you probably can. And you can get all kinds of bonus goodies. So head on over to Patreon.com slash lowres. $5 tier. Enjoy the episode. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me tonight is Hans. And Hans, you just ate some mussels. We were just talking about this only a moment ago before I hit record. Yeah. I'm glad it's not a very HD camera, so you won't be able to see my teeth if there's some residue there. Which there probably is. <clears throat> but yeah, that's my that's my, my diet right now. Canned stuff, because it's the end of the world, right? Or because you live in the third world. Same thing. <laughs> no, this is actually much better than uh, what you had going on Civic TV the other night. That was atrocious. That was horrend- That was like AOL style video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a very special guest this evening. We have Oki. How are you doing tonight? You just had a documentary drop on YouTube on on Jacob Wall, and that seems yeah. to be doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, because yeah, usually like these uh, these video- videos take forever to make. So it's always a gamble. I spent five months making a video, and it might just bump. But thankfully, it's uh, it's doing well. He's quite the character, and you you obviously get into that in the documentary. Very well made, very well done, uh, Thank in my you. opinion. Oh. I just checked that out the other day. Um, so we are going to be talking about, well, mainly mainly one film, but there are two films here on the, uh, on the docket. We've got The Wages of Fear, which I believe is a 1953 film. And then we have... Uh, Sorcerer, which is one of my favorites, a William Friedkin film. I think William Friedkin personally is probably the best living director. Um, we'll get into that a little bit uh, throughout the show. Sorcerer is a 1977 film that got demolished, I believe. The story is it got demolished by Star Wars because that came out right around the same time. And up until maybe about 2013, where the Alamo Draft House, I think it was, decided to reissue the film... People weren't really talking about Sorcerer much. They weren't uh, interested in the film, but it is really a remarkable movie. And a lot of the special effects in the in the film are uh, something to be in awe of, especially if you do compare it to what they could pull off with Wages of Fear back in 53, where yeah. a lot of it is just, um, it's a little more subdued due to budgetary reasons. So, uh, Oki, you, you brought this film up to me originally when we started talking, um, what was it about Sorcerer that, I guess, stuck in your head and made it feel like maybe an important film or an interesting film or just something that you wanted to hold on to? I forget which I saw first. I think it was The Wages of Fear. Um, and I remember just how intense that was. And, just yeah, the intensity of both of those films. are It's such a master class in um, uh, just sustained tension. And uh, you watch um, Sorcerer. 
And yeah, they, they were able to do a lot more special effects by that point. A lot of that is practical effects, obviously, you know, due to the era. Um, yeah. And it's just such the, the direction in that movie. Like you just, I think it took like a year of shooting on location for just to finish it. Um, huge budget for the time, the $24 million uh, movie. Um, two production, that's uh, two studios were involved with it. Um, but it's just like, it's, it's such a big movie. Um, and it's such a, like a great suspense thriller and you, something like that would never be made today. And it's all hinges on this like very, very simplistic, uh, plot device of the, the truck is going to, it's going to blow up. Both trucks are going to blow up. And that's like, that's what's so awesome about it to me. Yeah. Yeah, Hans, had you seen Sorcerer prior to this uh, recording? No, no, no. I, <clears throat> I just watched it today. I, I was familiar with uh, uh, what is Wages of Fear. I have not seen it. I started watching it uh, as I was working, but I I couldn't give it my entire attention, so I, I decided to not watch it. But I, it's pretty much the same story, right? It's very similar. Yeah, in some ways. I would say that structurally, it's essentially the same, but the tone of it, the vibe of it, the characters in it, and the camaraderie is totally different than Sorcerer. It's kind of an inverted... It's like very of the time. It's got a bit of a... I, I, well, I wouldn't say it, it, it's like around the world in 80 days or it's a mad, mad, mad world, but it has one of those types of uh, whimsical flares that's infused with it, even though it's like a dark, grounded film and it ends in a very like abrupt... Uh, unfortunate manner for the lead character where um, kind of similar to the Roy Scheider character in Sorcerer, Juan Dominguez I think is his fake name is, <laughs> yeah. um, you know he has a, a more grim fate than even that character in Sorcerer so uh, yeah, there there's a lot of similarities, William Friedkin denies that it's a remake because it's, yeah. I mean technically you know there was a book that preceded it so you can say well it's just another adaptation of that but there's a lot, there's a lot of overlap. There's like, yeah, there's pretty much repurposed scenes. And instead of a, a blowing up a boulder, they blow up a, a big uh, um, tree trunk or whatever log. Right. Or, mm. Yeah. Or uh, instead of the, the wheel getting stuck in the deteriorating bridge, uh, there's another aspect uh, of um, the film where they wind up passing through some like wooden moat ish type type thing where the it's like the, a very rickety swinging yeah. uh, bridge held up by like um, yeah rope right and which is fucking intense like the whole movie yeah there there's so much that is accomplished in I would even say both of these films that is certainly impressive by today's standards that they would just very easily rely on CG on as a cop-out for safety yeah. purposes. Cause you can't imagine, you can't imagine this was safe for the, the stunt doubles or even the actors that were involved. Um, it, it all looks extremely uh, like thoroughly well thought out, but I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that they played it fast and loose on the, on the set. They go like, they go like to like Herzog territory where it's like people could have died. Yeah. Doing this kind of <laughs> shit, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the feat that no one died. I think if I don't know, I think that's what makes it. That's what makes it more intense. I think that everything looks like they're actually in peril. 
like at any moment the actor could actually die. You believe that they're actually going because I'm sure they did. You know, I'm sure that they they were going through you know, or or maybe with even doubles and just having the actors do all the stunts or whatever. So uh, you do have that that intensity of how real everything feels. Um, I I I got a very uh, beginning of The Exorcist feel uh, yeah. for most of the movie, uh, and I guess it comes with I mean being the same director and everything, but. Uh, that the whole, you know, um, the beginning where he when the father finds the statue and all of that uh, prelude, I guess, I guess you can call it. Uh, I felt like I was in that same universe there. Uh, so I was kind of expecting for something supernatural to happen, which at the end doesn't really. Uh, no, I you, guess you have like a heightened you... reality nightmare mo- where nothing like really happens. It just seems like he's well, stayed you, up way too long. You had like the tree rape from evil dead a little bit there for like a couple of minutes, but we don't really know if it's just wind. Uh, so, so it, and I don't know if it's that, that influence of me knowing that Friedkin had directed the exorcist before. So I was kind of expecting that maybe that had something to do with it, or maybe, you know, the name uh, of it, I was expecting something, something supernatural, but uh, like Oki said, like it's very intense and it doesn't really feel like a two hour movie to me. It went by very quickly. Uh, and I think that using the the vignettes like they do at the beginning to introduce the characters in a very, very quick way where it's very effective because it's very to the point. And then we go straight into, you know, the development of the actual story uh, that it doesn't it, it never drags or it doesn't feel like a long movie to me at, at any point. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, he does like to have prologues and epilogues to a film that, uh, you know, typically I feel like with movies, you definitely want to end on a big explosive note. And he gives you some time to let let the story be subdued and come back to a calm state, especially after you have like three characters killed within a span of maybe like 25 minutes. Um, and he, he, you know, this character does wind up being successful. That's handled a little bit different in uh, Wages of Fear. And Wages of Fear, also the the character dynamic between... Uh, the lead character Mario and his companion is so much different. It is very erotic. It's bad. The, the it, two of these. Uh, yeah, you, you, <laughs> you felt that, huh? Yeah, there was kind of like, uh, yeah, like he was the Mario was kind of the bottom bitch in the beginning. <laughs> like he was following Joe around, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll be your lackey. I'll do anything because you're you're a rich guy, and you know." Yeah. And then there's that that like he he becomes disillusioned with him because he starts to figure out, like, yeah, he's a total pussy. And yeah, it's like this whole kind of like, even the scenes in the bar in, in, in Wages of Fear, where he's just trying to, um, he's trying to man up over Luigi, which is funny in this movie. Yeah, there's Mario <laughs> and Luigi, Luigi. in Wages of Fear. Uh, but like, yeah, there's this whole kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of homoerotic element to it, I would say, for sure. Yeah, they piss together to celebrate. They do all sorts of, Hans, you really missed <laughs> out. You should have watched the full movie. Uh, it does not start that way, really. Like you don't get a full vibe of that, but by the end, it, it, it's almost like overt. It's it's very like this, <laughs> this is clearly a, a metaphor for a homosexual relationship between an older dude and a young guy, and he's like, "Oh, why do you always treat me so lousy?" And he's just like, he, he's so whiny he's, and wimpy. He cries like after yeah. he says yeah. that. Yes, he yeah. cries <laughs> and he goes up a hill, yeah, like weeping. Yeah, and. Yeah, there, there's there actually seems to be a, a friendship there, whereas in Sorcerer it seems like everyone is much colder with one another. 
The guys yeah, in the opposing is. trucks don't really care for one another at all. And uh, Juan Dominguez and, and his partner, who I guess would be um, the surrogate for the, the one we were just talking about, are, are, I guess, like friends by circumstance. Like, you, yeah. they try to sell it to you, especially toward the end, like, oh, yeah, we'll get two whores and we'll celebrate. Well, yeah. But it's like you weren't really close to this guy throughout the entire no. half. Obviously, you're just talking to him because he's dying. He's, like, very pale and creepy and on the floor of your truck here. Uh, but, yeah, you don't ever believe that there's any love lost when that guy winds up passing away from his injuries. Yeah. Oh, go on. No, that was, no is that... I thought... It, um, Oh. Is there is there a, con- a connection between those characters or a reason why they all end up in the same Latin American? Well, that's the beginning. The beginning. Yeah, they're all trying to get you. away from. Well, right. So they're yeah, just um, they're just getting away from something they did, I guess, and right. they just yeah. end up in this shithole. Yeah, they're all yeah. like in okay. purgatory or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the thing. That's why I was expecting something supernatural, I guess, too, because. It felt very convenient that they all ended up there, but then you know after after that happened and, and we just moved forward with it and really like it doesn't really matter. Uh, I stopped caring, but that was like I wonder if I had missed something or 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 if there was a specific reason as to why they ended up in this random unnamed. No, what do they call it? It has a name, but it doesn't ex- exist as a real it's place. Like, they don't like mention in, a country. They, I don't think they mention it, but I think it's like in. It's supposed to be Porvenir. In... It's called Porvenir. Oh yeah, okay. But, yeah. but it, but that's you know that's not a country or, or anything. There's a place actually here that's called that, but but it doesn't look like that. Uh, so I was I was kind of trying to figure out why they would end up there, but I guess it doesn't really matter once the story gets going and once his focus is on you know them trying to get out. I guess which is the reason why they're all trying to do that, right? Right. So they've wound up socially blacklisted due to their crimes, their their transgressions, and the place is, I guess, bad enough where they have an opportunity to make some real money and hopefully change their situation, get out of there. Um, and I don't know. I, I, Oki, do you have a preference between these two films as to which version of the story you like better? Oh, so, okay. So when I first talked to you, I said Sorcerer. Yeah. Right? And that was... Sort of because of like everything I mentioned earlier, the directing in Sorcerer is just it's just better than Wages of Fear. Like it, it really is like a tour de force. Like, um, in just how the intensity that you get from it. Yes, there are intense scenes in Wages of Fear, but not anywhere close to Sorcerer. I would say Sorcerer has way better characters, um, significantly better. And like you were saying earlier, at the end. Um, when um, the character who plays Joe, basically, in, in, in uh, Sorcerer, when he's dying, and, and um, the character Roy, Roy uh, Scheider, Schneider, or Scheider, Scheider, Scheider. Scheider, yeah, when he's, like, you know, talking to him or whatever, you know, it's not, it doesn't have that same effect. Um, right before the end, where this, so there's also the two things that happen in, in Wages of Fear and Sorcerer, where in both movies, the the other guys in the other truck die in a very similar way. And Sorcerer, they start talking um, right before they die, and then randomly, abruptly, they blow up. It, it feels like it's the first time that they're talking. It, it feels like the first time that yeah, they're getting yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't have that kind of a character interaction. But fucking Sorcerer is such a cool, stylistic, intense, and well directed movie. It is so like. Um, 
there's just so much to it technically that it's just I'm I'm in awe of. So I can't really say. I don't know. Like I think both of the movies they do what they do really really well. Um, when it comes to like just traditional storytelling, I would say uh, uh, Wages of Fear is a better story, uh, and uh, Sorcerer is a better film. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. I, I, I feel like I would agree with that. Uh, I rewatched both of them today. I had seen both, uh, especially Sorcerer, I, I've seen like three or four times over. Wages of Fear I watched maybe once when I was in my early 20s. So I, I, it's been a while since I've absorbed it, and I probably didn't get it all on the first go. So when I watched it today, I was um, really impressed with it. I had a much higher opinion of Wages of Fear than during my initial viewing of it uh, years ago. It, I might feel like it might be a better movie than Sorcerer. I don't know. I have I would have to sit on it a little bit longer, but I like Sorcerer more uh, because of all the reasons that you essentially outlined. And it's just a cooler movie in general. Everything about Sorcerer <clears throat> is cool. The title is cool. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that isn't cool this is Roy Scheider. He's just kind of a nerd, you know? He's kind of a dork. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't pick him as the lead in any movie. You know, like that part where he's where he's slashing at the fucking weeds with the machete and <laughs> going into the into water. You don't think that was like really intense? I like, think it yeah. would have been cooler with like Gary Busey doing that, doing that, or or James Woods, or who, who else was <laughs> James Con? James Con would have been great. Hey, I I, I think James Con was supposed to be the lead in this movie. Actually, no, no, it was um, what the, it's it, I think it was Steve McQueen. Was That's to be. right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which? Oh wow. That, uh, which would have been cooler, which would have definitely been better. That would have been something. And that's not to sell Roy Scheider. I'm obviously I'm ragging on him right now. Rest in peace, Roy Scheider. Uh, but no, I mean, he, he does a good enough. He does good in this movie. He's a, he's a fine actor. He's just not like, whoa, Roy Scheider. I got to check this film out. Roy Scheider's in it. I um, think I, I think what the, the not having a relationship between those characters, it's. I mean, I, I haven't seen Wages of Fear, so I, I don't understand the relationship. I don't know how, how close they are. And by what you guys are saying, uh, I don't know if that would improve the movie or not, having a, a, a relationship drama there in the middle of everything. But I, I like the fact that uh, the characters are so um, disposable, the four of them, mm. that when they die, they just die. And it's something that could happen, make, making it more realistic than... Uh, creating this backstory for them to just die when when we don't really need to know them. I think uh, Friedkin did a really good job, at, and the cinematographer, don't know who it is, but did a really good job at making such a shithole, like such a yeah. Yeah. such a shithole that it, I, I don't care who the characters are, I don't care what their background is, I don't care who the who they are as a person or what their relationships are. I feel for them just because they want to get out. So that for me is enough for me to care for their lives. So I don't need that relationship. And when they die, uh, it feels very uh, Omar from The Wire. You know, yeah. it's like uh, they're, they're just characters that, well, this happened because this is life and things like this happen and goodbye and you're dead and done and that's it. Uh, I find that to be a little bit more effective than uh, spending time getting to know them and, 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 and creating a relationship there between them for them to just die which just seems like a like a cheap way of, of getting emotion out of the audience, uh, because. Well, how's like, that a cheap? Hold on, no characters dying in uh, a story is a cheap way of getting emotion. Like, if you if you're comparing those two stories, like I don't think you need it. Uh, I think, I think what, what. Well, hold hold on. Uh, something that should probably be clarified then about Wages of Fear is 
and correct me if I'm wrong, Oki, those characters are not like social rejects, right? They're just living in the third world working. Um, yeah, no, they're like just they're kind of they kind of get stuck there. Yeah. They you know, and there's it's really hard to get out of that place. So in, in Sorcerer, they're all like pretty pretty much people on the lamb. And right. then but in Wages of Fear, they're just all kind of layabouts and they just like they kind of have odd jobs and they're you know, they have enough to eat and drink. They I think that's something that one of the right. characters said. But it, like it, it is really organic the way and that is kind of what works for um, Wages of Fear a little bit more than Sorcerer, I think, is that, like, you do care. But what you're saying, Hans, which is really interesting, is that because it was so bleak, um, the setting, that you were still invested and you were like, damn, I feel sorry for anybody in this situation. Is kind yeah. of what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, because they just want they want just want to get out somehow. And I, uh, part that stuck in my head was... Uh, when one of them was asking about, I think it was plane tickets to to go to a different country or something, and the guy said, "Yeah, if you have a thousand, and the character said, "Well, I have a hundred, which is as much as I've been able to save in a year, and that just made their situation just impossible. This is hell, we can't get out, yeah, so when this situation comes along i I don't really need to know who they are. I just know that they're in hell right now, and they need to get out, so that for me was enough to care for them, and when they died, it's very sudden and very oh fuck especially because they just went through 20 minutes of very intense action of then maybe making it or maybe not and then it's just boom explodes and they die all of a sudden like nothing and that made it more impactful to me i guess than than spending time getting to know them when i i didn't really feel like i needed that at least from this one i don't know if the connection is different on on the other on the other movie and in, in Wages of Fear, the the prize that they're I believe they're they're lugging oil with them instead of nitroglycerin mm-hmm. um, is two thousand dollars. Each man will get two thousand dollars <laughs> if they complete their journey. Which even in nineteen fifty three, two thousand dollars. What does that really come out to? Oh, um, not dude. not that much. Not worth your life. Um, and, you know, you, and you know, like the the fact, like. I, can we spoil? We're we're allowed to spoil. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. So right. like the scene in Wages of Fear where he uh, Mario runs over um, his, his friend. Oh, his part, his life partner. Joe, Joe, Joe yeah, his, yeah. His, his gay male lover. He runs him over with a truck while trying to get through this pit, the oil pit, and like he he does it. He goes for it because he's not going to get stuck in the middle of the fucking uh, Amazon or wherever, right? And not get his two thousand dollars. He'd rather run this guy's leg over. And he essentially <laughs> kills him. He does. He, yeah, he's entirely he gets, responsible for his death. You know, and and still, even though he did that, he ran him over, he still gets stuck. He still gets stuck in the pit. It's Which, they, they imply uh, in the lead up, like, oh, he's dying. But it, like, really, he's just kind of sleepy. He's just kind of sluggish. He's, he's an older dude. He's got to be about like 60 years old. Uh, he doesn't have the energy that everybody else has. Uh, well, 60 in the 50s also. That's like 120 now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, there's no fucking barely any medicine. You know, everyone's dying of polio still. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. that's really what winds up doing him in. Is he? Do- and they show the leg, too, which uh, made me cringe, like, in a good it's way. Gnarly. Like, it's yeah. gnarly. It's gnarly. Yeah. Especially for, like, a 1950s movie. It is. It's fucking gnarly. Yeah, it's it's really now, gross. Let me ask you. Let me ask you guys something because I don't know if it's just me being an uneducated swine 
but I have a very hard time connecting with any movie that's earlier than 70, I guess. Even Hitchcock movies, um, and uh, I think it's something that me and Loris have talked about before, where if it's because all of those movies have been uh, copied to death by modern day directors, right. a lot of yeah. the things that were a lot of things that were impressive at the time, we have seen them so many times that when you see those movies, you just see the tricks that they do and the things that they do, and they're not as impressive because we've seen them so many times, and not being exposed to them in their early age, uh, personally at least. Um, it makes it very difficult for me to even care about the stories, even the way they speak, uh, be able to connect with that just because I've never heard anyone talking like that. Okay, okay, uh, right. look here, Hans. See, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. all right, exactly. Uh, so, I, I, so, want, so. I want you to watch um, James Cagney White Heat, it is okay. paced better than most modern movies. It is just as as exciting as most modern movies. Even go back, I, you've probably seen Battleship Potemkin, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's an exciting movie, and that's like it's before even you know people are speaking in movies. It's uh, you know I think that the issue with a lot of people when they go back they they go and they watch like Casablanca, you know, they go and they watch like the obvious. They go right. through the Criterion Collection. Go find some obscure random ass movie from that time and you'll find some crazy shit especially before like the haze code shit started happening you know you'll, yeah. you'll find a lot of raunchy random ass cool ass stories um you know but like if, if you're just only gonna look at if you just only look at the things that are in the pantheon of great movies then it's gonna be boring as fuck and that right. that is like you know get through that shit do it if you want to but there's a lot of other stuff from every single era that is is better than 90 percent of stuff that came out just this year right to, i mean to what you're saying also like i i have not been one who is especially well versed on hitchcock and that's somebody who i got into during uh lockdowns last year and yeah. a lot of the reason uh why these films are iconic uh are, are because they introduce something to film which, to what you're saying, has been copied ten times over, so you've seen the evolutions of that, and it just doesn't really make it seem impressive. Uh, if you want a good Alfred Hitchcock film, uh, check out The Lodger. That's actually a silent movie, but um, like the, especially the opening 40 minutes of it is really cool and visually well done and eerie. Um, I think it's from 1922. It's probably on YouTube or something, but you got to watch out because uh, it's called The Lodger, and it's like a Jack the Ripper movie. You say um, opening forty minutes. How long is this movie? The opening is forty minutes. <laughs> it's it's uh, well, it, it kind of falls off in the middle. It gets a little boring. All right, but okay. uh, everything up till then is uh, is very good. It's very very cool. Um, it's like the setup. Yeah, the setup. Of yeah, the opening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, most setups are like yeah, thirty to forty minutes. But yeah, yeah. sorry. Go on. Uh, they, no, I don't. I don't. Want, I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm just saying that modern cinema is better than because. Because I'm not. I'm definitely not saying that. Yeah, I guess you're my frustrated, dude. It's just, it's my what? You're frustrated. It sounds like you you want to get into it. Yeah. Every time I, I every, every every time I check like a noir movie that I'm supposed to enjoy, it's just like okay, cool. I've seen all of this already. Done. Maybe not better, but I, I guess it just 
And and the same thing happened with The Exorcist to me. I, I saw it when I was like 18, 19. Uh, I, I saw scenes before I saw the movie. So when I watched it, it was kind of like whatever. Like it, it didn't have an, an, an effect on me at all. Uh, but uh, I have that issue with whenever I go back and try to check, like you said, the classics that I'm supposed to, uh, quote unquote, know. And, and they're usually very just boring and not, not well, very give, good. Give an example of a classic you found very boring. Uh, fuck you! I, I love it when you put me on the spot, and I never. <laughs> well, you don't have an IMDb list, a letterbox oh, list. I <laughs> never, I never deliver whenever you put me on the spot. Hold on, let me think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna be able to. Well, you up with you anything, you but... brought up Hitchcock, right? So, yeah, that was that he talked about last time. Okay, which which Hitchcock movie? Psycho. Psycho isn't. No, Psycho, I like, but I've seen I've seen that one multiple times. Uh, so uh, I I mean I I wouldn't even count that one as that era that I'm talking about uh, because they I I do believe they talk a little bit different than that. Not that, that that's like my cutoff. Whenever they change uh, the way they speak, that's when I, I I'm able to get into the source a little bit more. But I guess something like Rope, I guess. Rope. Okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting, and I like what he what he did to shoot it, but I just couldn't get into the story. It's just that I, I and I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the, the performances or the way they act or the way everything is shot. Uh, at the same time, whenever I watch something that's from the seventies, I love the way it looks and I love the way it feels. So I don't I, know. Well, I was going to say that's what I find inaccessible about a lot of movies from the nineteen sixties is just how saturated. A lot of the color tones are. Everything is very like, and not even vibrant in a good way. It just seems like, oh, they they were so excited to use color for the first time. Yeah. Once it became so simple, they wanted everything the most colorful it could ever look. Uh, that's something that I struggle with. What is, what is that shit that they use for North by Northwest? Like Cine, what was it called? Um, I gotta look this shit up. Um, let me think about that. Cinemascope. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, they, yeah, everything's extremely vibrant because of the way. It's like, we have, we now have 483 colors. Yeah. Ready for you here. You know, like, it's like, dude, this looks like dog shit, kind yeah, of. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, um, to what you were saying, though, the 1970s, it really feels like everybody calmed down. Like, all right, why don't we just kind of rest in the grittiness of, of this film texture. And there wasn't, uh, you know, that, that ideal to heighten everything to that maximum. seems like, uh, you know, if, if you did have to have like one singular color palette for the 1970s, it would be something that is uh, probably more desaturated than what came before and after for the 60s and 80s. Yeah, muddy and gray, gritty. Gray. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, it... Uh... Yeah, in the seventies too. Like um, a lot of that is is a response, just like the Vietnam War and Nixon, and like you, you watch a movie like Sorcerer, the like at the end. Yes, of course, Rages of Fear ends with the main character dying, but also you lot, watch a lot of movies in the seventies. The main character dies. Uh, Warren Beatty at the end of Shampoo dies. You know, it's 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 that kind of like this very nihilistic. Uh, fucked up tone that is is really awesome about the seventies. But you know, Hans, I would say like, dude, like you you shouldn't feel pressure to like things that you don't like. You know? Oh, I don't. Oh no, no, yeah, I don't. If at you all. don't like I, it, 
it's not a bad thing. Try and find other things. You'll find anything from any era. Like there's like people don't find <laughs> musicals from. Oh no. uh, Yeah, have from, you watched the musicals, that... Hans? Maybe you should start <laughs> watching musicals. Sound of Music. Maybe that should just run That's around. A good movie. Uh, That's a good movie. No, <laughs> no see, no, uh, um, <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm very, I, like, I really don't. I really don't care about. Like, I like what I like, but I guess it's just something that I've always kind of wanted to get into, and I, I've just struggled every time I've tried. And as soon as as you jump from '69 to '70, it changes completely. And I don't know if it's because sometimes those old movies feel very surreal by the way they're shot. If, if they kind of feel like a like a, a TV movie sometimes, just because of the format and the way they're shot. At least to me, uh, that I can't connect with it. And as soon as it turns into the seventies, where everything is just dready, just just shitty and just real, like I can connect with that a lot more than those stories from the sixties. And I don't know. It, it's not. It's not about me wanting people to think that I that I like good things because I, I don't. I think I like more bad movies than good movies. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's just something that I've, I've always struggled with. And, and when I started with watching Wages of Fear today, uh, I was like, all right, this is something that I... Seems like I need to put my full on attention uh, on it. And um, and that's why I, did, I didn't watch it. But it's, it's usually, yeah, those old 60s and below movies. Are you sure it struggled. wasn't uh, Snyder Cut? Resentment because it was four by three in black and white. <laughs> oh, which was dog shit, by the way. That was no, like, no, was come so on. Dog no. Shit, dude. I'm sorry, I could, I made it like an hour and a half into that. Unbelievable. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, why are people hyping this dog shit? How many movie? hours? How many hours the rest did you? Like, um, I have hours? watched, I have watched a total of 20 hours of the Snyder Cut. I've watched it. <laughs> I watched it. Tw- I watched a bootleg version, and then I watched oh, you- the real version, and then I watched it again before we did a show on it, and then I watched the Justice is Gray one. So you are very oh, Snyder Wow! Yeah, <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> dude Hans. I think you should watch. Um, and I do agree with you. A lot of um, older movies do kind of have this kind of televisual aesthetic. Um, but if you watch stuff like um, Fritz Lang, it was like uh, yeah. I love Fritz Lang movies, like watch a uh, metropolis or you watch m um and he has a bunch of other really great movies um and they are just like the visuals in that are they can um rival stuff that you see now just just based off of the peer like the cinematography of it and just the shots he was able to get like people don't get shots like that um anymore even like it, it would be very difficult for a modern crew to do what he did and he was doing that in the 20s did you see um, the uh, the interview that William Friedkin conducted with Fritz Lang? No, I gotta see that. Yeah, what? there's <laughs> one from. Uh, so William Friedkin, before he became like William Friedkin, director that everybody knows of, was a documentarian, and uh, he wound up getting yeah. an interview with Fritz Lang where they sat down for maybe about, I want to say it's like a good forty to sixty minute interview in the 1950s, maybe or early 60s. And it is a, a very interesting, um, you know, engagement between the two. And I think he was talking a lot about like World War II and what led him to wind up uh, leaving, and how his I think he said his wife was making propaganda films for the Nazis or something. I think he did as well, but he he obviously would not say that. Um, right. There's a there's a lot of there's there's a lot in Fritz Lang's backstory that uh, has been analyzed and does not add up. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think Freed can ask him a little bit about that, but they don't get into it too, too in depth. But it's still a very interesting uh, interview that I'd recommend. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a Nazi scientist who's just been embraced by Americans, regardless <laughs> of his questionable past. Yeah. Nicholas uh, Winding Refn likes to claim that his wife is the, is the seed of Fritz Lang, that, Fr- that her mother slept with Fritz Lang, who would have been about 80 years old at the time and produced I, his wife. I've heard like a lot of crazy shit that uh, Nicholas Winding Refn has said. And uh, pretty sure he's very autistic. Oh, he certainly yep. is. He has one pose in all of his... Like, literally, go look at his, his uh, press photos. He does his, like... He does the fight like, pose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, you want to fight? want to fight, yeah. Yeah, that, that's his one pose. He's just um, primo autismo. Yeah, he's waiting for that, that match with Lars von Trier, his arch nemesis. He hates Lars von Trier because Lars von Trier... Gets... <laughs> Which I, I saw that, yeah. His dad worked as an editor for Lars for a while. Like, the families are intertwined, so there's some sort of history there that the public does not know about. But he, whenever Lars is brought up, he doesn't ever waste an opportunity to bash him or call him a Nazi or a misogynist or something or another. I don't know. But it's very, uh, very entertaining. Who's your, hey, who's your favorite modern filmmaker, Oki? Whoa, that's tough. Uh, I think the Coen brothers. It's very good. Coen movie. Brothers are, um, that's like the whole vibe of what, because I was writing screenplays before I started doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, like the whole thing that I've always wanted to do is that, uh, you know, life is stranger than fiction. You mix reality uh, with um, just insanity, right? And um, Coen Brothers, they would take things from from reality, like uh, you know, Fargo. It's it's loosely based off of a real life story, and it's just like it, it is grounded in reality, where you have this pregnant cop going around and solving mystery, but at the same time, you have Steve Buscemi being put through a wood chipper, and yeah, I just love the way that they just it's um they they they're able to accomplish that, and that's ch- kind of what I try and do with. Uh, my YouTube channel and with, with any fiction that I try and write, it's uh, it's usually that uh, kind of where it's um, in between the with the bounds of reality and fiction. And uh, uh, alternatively, who is your least favorite modern filmmaker? Mick uh, G. Really? What? That's oh, not wow. a name that gets tossed around much. <laughs> That's a very like 2008 pick. 2006. Yeah. Well, now he does all these. Like he did recently. That um, what's that? The vice. He oh, just uh, pretty much just like takes things from modern history now, and he <laughs> makes them into movies. Like not even like not even like modern history, as in like Nixon. Like he'll just take like oh yeah the the fucking two thousand eight economic uh, crash happened. <laughs> Let's make that into a movie. It's like so fucking lazy. And then he has all these things, and he gets all these stupid pedophilic uh, 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 celebrities, Moloch worshiping celebrities who rape babies, like uh, Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> he puts her in a fucking <laughs> hot tub. It's like, let me have this celebrity explain, uh, uh, you know, the the stock market to you in, in the most base and simplistic way possible. And I just hate every fucking thing that he touches. I just, I think he is cancer um i'm not gonna say i want want him to die but i want him to die in a video game for sure well 
I I don't know if I'm really all that familiar with Mick G. Did he he did like Charlie's Angels or I I I I I, I, I was did not see Brett my Ratner. I get him and Brett Ratner confused all the time. No, um, Brett Ratner's also another one. He's just shit. So he did um, uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, Fast Lane, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, We Are Marshall, Terminator Salvation. He's dog shit. Uh, Shadow Hunters, that's a TV show. Uh, he directed a couple of episodes of Lethal Weapon, the TV show. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, he, I guess his most successful one recently is the Babysitter movies that are terrible. For Netflix. I read the script of that. I read the script of that way back when, actually. That was a Blacklist script, uh, the Babysitter um, uh, Netflix thing. I haven't seen the movie yet, but it was just kind of like this passingly fun thing. Um, I don't know if there's, the movie. Yeah, anyway. there's two of them, and the second one has a 22% meta score. So I'm assuming that it's not, it's also a Netflix movie. So yeah, I'm not so expecting it's not gonna quality. Be no, yeah. No, again. So the babysitter, the first one was like a, it's, it was a blacklist script that was floating around since like I think like 2016. That's when I read it, and it was good. It was like this fresh original thing, but it was also kind of like it was like an okay genre thing. And yeah, I'm not surprised that they tried to remake that or he tried to uh, relight that candle and it didn't work because Mick G is a fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> I would box Mick G. Can we set that up? <laughs> Can we set that up? Please. I, I, I wish we had that kind of sway to like put that out there and make that a thing. Or if I could even just get Mick G on the phone for a moment, that would be nice. The, what's what, what's Mick G? <laughs> I know. He's a ginger, like McGee. That's your name. And so he can sound slick. So he can be a <laughs> hotshot Hollywood director. McGee. We got to get McGee on the phone. Yeah, dude. Have you heard the Christian Bale freak out? I love that. Yeah. yeah. McGee is in the background of that. He's he's the one directing the movie. Oh, that's in Terminator. That wasn't Terminator. That, that's yeah. Terminator Salvation. Yeah, that was the one where they got Christian Bale because I guess he had a contract with Warner Brothers to do X amount of films, and. uh yeah, he lost his shit because, like, the lighting guy came too close to him while they were getting a shot. Which I, I understand the frustration there, but... Uh... Got in my fucking shot, mate! You fuck! You fucked it up! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that, man. Um, oh, on the wow. topic of... He produces... He produces a lot of... Of garbage. Garbage. Of course he yeah. does. Uh, yeah. um, I want to get your take on William Friedkin and his filmography. Um... Okay. Yeah, I got. I got to bring up. I got to bring up his IMDb. Hold on. Uh, William Friedkin. Let me see. All right. So, what about it uh, in particular? Ah, oh, just your thoughts in general. I think that Friedkin is like just a fantastic director. Um, actually, you know, for a guy who's how old is he now? The dude was born in, in late thirty seventies, maybe eighty. I don't know. Thirty-five. He was born. I don't. I don't know if I can do the quick maths here. But um, like for what he was doing, like now I'm seeing here, like most of his early movies are just like documentaries, TV documentaries. So then the French Connection. Uh, his first. His first movie is the the Boys in the Band, which just got remade by Netflix recently by I think Ryan Murphy. And of course, mm. it's like Zachary Quinto and all these of terrible. Of course, uh, uh, yeah. God damn, it was a uh, it was like a late oh. '60s or early '70s uh, like gay male party 
movie. What, the dirt? Is it the dirt? The dirt. I don't know. I I didn't see it, but I thought that was like a rock band movie. Jeff Tremaine's The Dirt about Motley Crue. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, not exa- Jeff it's exactly like that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. That, I'll tell you what, though, for a Netflix movie, that movie is not that bad, and especially for a Netflix movie starring Machine Gun Kelly and Pete Davidson. Oh God! That's, yeah, no. That those are your two stars. Exactly it, I'll tell you what. That I'll is- tell you what, though, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> That's exactly why I don't know if it's good or bad, because those are your so two. All, all of the people who pretend to like cruising, you know, it's, it's just all. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so he does he's... Boys in the Band. He then he, I think he want Exorcist might be his fourth film. I think yeah. it goes. Um, well, okay, so I, I I haven't seen most of these. I think so. I saw. Okay, let me say what I saw here. I saw The French Connection, Exorcist, Sorcerer, Cruising. Live and Die in L.A., uh, and then Bug and Killer Joe. That's what I got. That's not bad. That's essentially like greatest hits. Uh, there's a lot in there that can be skipped. I, I got to watch Rampage, man. You were saying to watch um, Rampage, I think. Or no, what was what was the movie where um, where it's uh, what's his what's it called? Where it's was he's trying to find his daughter who did porn. Oh, hardcore! A... Hardcore yeah. is Paul Schrader, George C. Oh, Scott. Oh, that's a Paul Schrader. Okay, yeah, never, yeah. My bad. yeah. Another guy from that era, who um, not not really like Freed. Well, I guess kind of like Friedkin has a period where he drops off, and then he comes back and does like a couple of good movies. But now, I mean, oh, William Friedkin put out a documentary in I think 2015 or 2016 called "The Devil and Father of Morth," and it is unwatchably bad it may it makes you feel bad for him like being an old man because it, it falls victim to all sorts of old man editing tricks that clearly impress him but are like <laughs> not impressive for for 2015 2016 um, it, it's you, uh it's bad have you seen that paul paul schrader movie with like willem dafoe and nicholas cage i think yes. it's like uh dog eat dog i kind of in a way kind yeah. of like it I really like that movie. That movie is a yeah. mess, but it is entertaining. It's funny. Yeah. It, it feels like he took Tarantino's style and meshed it with uh, somebody else. Off the top of my head, it, it, it's McGee. not. No, yes, yeah, Tarantino, <laughs> McGee. All the stars of the '90s. Um, no, it, actually, it kind of gets David Lynchian at the at the end of it mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage getting pulled over and he kidnaps is a couple. The soldier is, is that the soldier movie where he where he goes nuts? No, Nicolas Cage. No, that's the other. No, okay. I don't that's know the other modern one. Oh, that was Dying of the Light. Dying of the Light is yeah. terrible. Oh, <laughs> you got to see that movie, Oki. Dying of the... no, don't watch Dying of the Light. Watch Dark. <laughs> he released yes. his own version. So they took Dying of the Light away from him. That was a movie he was working on. Refn is a producer on it. And it stars Nicolas Cage and Anton Yelchin. And they turned it into, like, the, the most generic direct-to-DVD action film. So then he found some dailies and uh, recut it in his spare time and put it on Pirate Bay with a little note. And that version is called Dark. And it's kind of visually interesting, but it's still bad. And he's going to, like, a terrible, what was it, an ear? Like, a giant fucked-up ear he was wearing? Or a nose? What was it, Hans? I don't remember I don't know. He's got some. He's got some prosthetics that are not, not good. Really bad. Uh, but he's supposed to be like a war veteran 
who succumbed the, the, to injuries or something. I don't know. The the Paul Schrader movie, oh, Thief and Cock, recently, the priest one was really good. Yeah, yeah. first reformed. That I really liked that. That was that was very well done. Um uh the commentary for that movie is also uh, very enlightening to Paul Schrader's process because apparently a good portion of the, the shots in that movie are just bought stock footage, which I would not have guessed. Really? Yeah, more than just like the the sequence where Amanda Seyfried's laying on top of him and then they just like hover out. Into that, the was, that was pretty shit. Yeah, that was, was the worst part. That's That was hell. Yeah. By, but by everything far, else was good. Yeah, I thought. That also, I also felt very old man. You know, yes. very old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he details how he got that movie made and a lot of the steps taken and how it was shot actually pretty close to where I'm at, which does not look or feel like upstate New York at all, which I, I think is what they're trying to sell. Uh, so, yeah, he, he's somebody who is also great on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen any of his Facebook statuses, but oh, they they are phenomenal. Very horny. <laughs> very very h word <laughs> all the time yeah a lot of uh why can't you say this to women anymore why did I, <laughs> they kick me out of this online poker group because i said hey you're 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 a very beautiful lady are you single and I things like him. that he's i love the guy he's such a character <laughs> i love that he like yeah it's it's funny like you see like shit like um especially older older thespians or older directors and they just they stop giving a fuck like you see william shatner yeah and it's just like he's like he goes on 4chan you know like, yeah yeah <laughs> what the fuck is he up to and he's like he's beefing with red letter media and like he, yeah. he just he does his own thing it's just like yeah i love it when these old ass dudes from a bygone era are just somehow um still putting their their whole thing out there yeah, like and if you're Shatner, I mean, didn't he just celebrate a, a 90th birthday recently? Like he's, he's really old. He's really old. Yeah. So I mean, what what more? I, he doesn't have to like put any veneer up to impress people or make people feel okay with him. He's he's very accomplished. He'll always be Star Trek guy or whatever. T.J. Hooker. People love T. as J. much Hooker. as he uh, as much <laughs> as he hates being a Star Trek guy. It's so funny how whenever he's interacting with Star Trek nerds. He's not interested at all, and they're freaking out all the time. He's just like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that." Yeah, that's yeah. I, I, I was I in that? Yeah, cool. I who cares? It's the only thing. He's been yeah. caring for fifty years about this shit that I don't even remember. <laughs> it's great. But, like you got to think that that was a thing he did, and it lasted three seasons, and then you know, it all it. of a sudden, like I guess it played on TV, you know, enough, and it got syndicated, and then all of a sudden it's like this big thing. And he's like. I am a classically trained thespian. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm I am a, not Captain fucking uh, Kirk, okay? He sings, right? He has that Rocket Man song that, well, he croons, oh, kind yes. of. yes. Yeah, him and Leonard Nimoy both yeah. put out albums of wow. like, just them doing, like, the worst singing. And it's, like, yeah. it's beautiful. Leonard Nimoy also had a passion for, for photography. Yep. Did you know about this? He really... <laughs> appreciates it, it well i don't i mean it's bad not, is subjective when it comes no, to art you know it's it's, it's more uh, in a, it's uh appreciating the female form you know he really loves uh, morbidly <laughs> obese women if you google <laughs> leonard nimoy ph photography you will find like two books worth of 300 yes. to 400 pound women 
Okay. He loved roles. He, yeah. he, oh, he really wow. Did. I remember I first came across this when I was a youngster, uh, when I was on my way to school, and he was on the radio for the local station being interviewed, and I was in the car with my mom, and that's just what started playing on the radio, and it got really awkward, and uh, she had to turn the station. So, yeah, he <laughs> he loves fatties. Fat women. Yes. Holy yeah. Shit. I remember uh, Googling him and finding his website very early. I don't know if his website looks the same. Uh, it was just a black, dark, really just everything was black. And it was a gallery of black and white photos of fat women. And I was like, is this fuck? Like, what the Did fuck? Did you think you got lemon party? I don't know. I didn't know what it was. And then I think his picture was in it. So I was like, I guess, I guess he's got, you know, that taste. That's good for, good for him, I guess. I just wasn't expecting Mr. Spock to be so horny. You know? Wow. Yeah. God damn. Well, people are allowed to have their interests, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway, here's how we figure it out though if it's actually like him like that's something he likes or he was just trying to be um like artistic what does his wife look like or what did his wife look like i right? feel like i might have looked this up before and she might be skinny actually yeah so he's not he's not yeah he's it's saying she's skinny he hides, it. he hides it from his wife <laughs> oh, <laughs> or maybe he was trying to like feed her and it just didn't work yeah maybe she just has a really good metabolism <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and to be fair, a fucking Star Trek nerd being a feeder would not fall out of everything you see in those shows. Whenever there's a gigantic woman and on TLC or whatever, there's always like a little weavy dork that feeds her. Yeah, they're always like really skinny dudes. Yeah, I don't... and they're with these like humongous women. It's like yeah. it's this weird kind of like uh, pathology there. That I I've never cracked, you know. Maybe it's they feel insecure or subconsciously insecure about their lack of mass, uh-huh. and, and so they want like a like a big mommy figure who will protect yeah. them. I don't know. I can see that. Yeah, it's like the giantess kind of like. Yeah, that no that that one I really don't understand. They want to be stepped <laughs> on and st- like it's a Godzilla woman. That's yeah, they just want ridiculous. the woman to like become yeah literally like uh, extremely uh, tall and yeah. Yeah, Hans. If you had to take a, a twenty foot woman or or six hundred pound woman, <laughs> oh Jesus! What would you rather? Oh God damn! Okay, is it twenty four feet? Is it proportional? Like, is she just long, or is every? Does she have like a have a four feet long vagina? I don't know. I don't know. You just got to play the odds and hope it comes out right. I I rather that one. I think. I bet she have tons with... of spinal problems. She'd probably have to lay down all the time. I gotta yeah. say that twenty four feet it's like okay, so that's seven 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 uh feet and, and three inches, right? So okay, that's, that's like, not it's not it's like you know, that's it's... a bass that's a WNBA all star right there. So like <laughs> you could probably you know, <laughs> if she's proportional <laughs> enough, she's not like, you know <laughs> she's not it's too possible. tall. Right. <laughs> She just needs a lot of money to adjust the world around her. Uh, At least you can fuck her. You can't fuck the 600-pound chick. No, you can. The, the, the problem is that you can fuck everything because there's so many holes <laughs> that you don't know what yeah. you're fucking. Well, there you go. Uh, okay. but, but I would definitely prefer a giant woman even if, yeah, yeah. A giant woman in, in length, not in mass. Um, yeah. 
It's a thing of smell soup. I'm, I'm, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Very, I'm, I'm a uh, very scent person, like scent guided person. I don't know if I'm stinky fatty. Anyway. <laughs> and, and, anyway, yeah. So uh, Sorcerer was crushed by Star Wars. I think Star Trek was probably dead around that time. There's a gap between Star Trek, the movie, and uh, Star Trek. T- is that it? That's a Star Trek outfit on your wall, Oki. So you should you should have an idea of this, right? So what? Are yeah, you, yeah. George, what is? I was th- really into Star Trek when I was like 14 to like 16. It was on television all the time. Something I watched every day after school. I watched like fucking TNG, uh, the original series, and Voyager play on the Space Channel. All three of those. Love that shit at the time um the star trek original movie was just like this weird pastiche of uh uh what's it called a uh, um space odyssey why am i like blanking here on this like obvious stanley kubrick movie oh 2001 yeah yeah i don't know why i just completely blanked there anyway um it was just like a pastiche of that it was like they were trying to do that exact same kind of thing and it was just boring and weird the best Star Trek movie, uh, probably Wrath of Khan, and then the fourth one. Uh, the Whale. Where, yeah, The Whales. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Was great. What's the deal with uh, part four? Isn't the, is, is that the one where they merge the cast of the 60s one with the 90s one, yeah. or the Patrick Stewart one? Right? No, 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 no. That's Generations. Oh, that's Generations. Like, that's like the ninth one or something. Yeah. That's the one where, like... Um, they're in different dimensions and they have their own form of heaven or something. Yeah, I used to watch those movies and the show all the time, but yeah, I stopped eventually. It just got kind of boring. I watched, uh, I think I watched like three episodes of it, might have been called Enterprise, whatever the Scott Bakula one was, because I kind of like Quantum oh. Leap. I wanted more Quantum <laughs> Leap, so I checked wow. that out. Uh, but it you was not mullet, for me. Mullet Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. No, he was older <laughs> at the time, he was like in his 40s at least. Yeah. Oh, that was the '90s one, right? No, well, no, one no. Of the it was, it was early on. It had to like be 2000 to 2003, yeah. sometime nice. around then. It was on Sci-Fi Channel, I believe, or UPN or whatever. I don't know, whatever network that I started, was. I started. I started getting into the classic one, old. Now that I'm old, like I had no interest in it at all when I was younger, and I would just get high and watch the the original series, and it's such a it's such a safe feeling that it gives you. Like it's so it's camp contained and so yeah, exactly. It feels like Ooh. like like the Batman, like my favorite Batman, which is the sixties Batman. Yeah, which Adam West. Exactly yeah. to say, but that's my favorite Batman because he doesn't take itself serious at all. And when you watch the the original Star Trek, it, it's very much like that. And everything is so episodic, and in the episodes, not a lot happens. So it's a lot of them just running around. And, and, and but for whatever reason, it has that feeling of old tv where it's just like comfort you know you feel I, very- lo- I love that kind of shit where it's like kind of like it's 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 campy it's it's kind of all off kilter because it, it's it's just so um uh dated but at the same time it's so it's so by the numbers and you can just see the writing room and they're just like we gotta put this thing out we gotta put yeah. this thing out by this <laughs> by the end of the week we gotta put out 14 episodes Let's go, let's go. You know, and it's, it's like we don't we don't need a, a fighting expert or or anyone that's going to come that. up with anything that none looks that. realistic. Yeah, it's just you got Shatner, can you fight? Do you have any muscles in your body? Not really. I have a barrel. <laughs> I have a barrel chest and a chin. 
Good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't who's know. the dude? Who's the dude in the first Planet of Apes? Uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah. It's like you know, Kirk looks like Charlton Heston. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like this kind of flabby, fat dude, and he's just like he he throws punches, and it's awkward, and it looks terrible, yeah. but it's like you but, know, he but did he's it. so hot and so charismatic that he fucks aliens too. It's not just humans. So, I mean, fucks, is that you something know? you were thinking while watching? Oh, he's so hot. I'm so. <laughs> yeah. I really, I really do enjoy the scaled down nature of a lot of '60s, and this was also something with Wages of Fear, where you, you can see that they're just kind of like sitting in a car, and then there's a background playing behind them. They're not actually driving, unlike Sorcerer. <laughs> uh, but with like the Star Trek series, I like how it's very clearly just a set, and there's like cardboard yeah. props and back for the background and this and that. It's uh, the light. Every button is a light. They just pretend to touch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's great. For yeah. some reason, like I, I can, I can do hours of that in a film, uh, and it is seemingly more accessible to me than tons of CG, this and that, and what have you. Like so I, real, and like you can just like think about like the production behind it, and there's something about that that's so charming. Yeah, I think just the the natural physicality of it. The, the fact that you know that this is a real thing, that yeah. the image that you're seeing is not composited together by, like, Weta or, or, or whatever, uh, just makes it all the more uh, visually accessible. Yeah, They're all like, in, too. The, the actors, is very cheesy acting, but but they feel it. Like, you can see that they right. believe so they're in this That, that has space. to be part yeah. of it, right? And I know, yeah. I think it was Ian McKellen or, or one of these Lord of the Rings actors said this as well. Uh, when he was complaining about having to act with like a tennis ball on a green screen set, like it, it, it's of course it's going to change your performance, and this is why like all you see all the Marvel movies and everyone's just giving like a level five performance, yeah. you know, because uh, they're, they're not acting with any anything around them really. I mean, they're lucky if they have fellow performers in the shot to to it's bounce. Green warehouse, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It's um. You're talking about Weta. Is that is that where they kind of like composite everything and like a, a they do like the storyboards and like the CGI kind of thing beforehand? They're, a, they're a, I think they're in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, they're one of the more well uh, regarded special effects houses. I know that they, they they did the Lord of the Rings films. They did King Kong. They did the Snyder Cut. They did uh, all all the big CG spectacles of like the past twenty years. Okay, so I thought you were talking about how they. So what they do with Marvel movies now is they, they storyboard it, um, all like completely all the shots before the movie's even made, um, and mm-hmm. so you can you can pretty much watch the movie, uh, and it's all done computer generated before the movie's even shot. Oh wow! And, and yeah, like it I... is so detached from any human hands when you when you do it like that yeah it feels very mechanical to to say the least and you're looking at spectacle we're talking about a movie sorcerer and i was talking about earlier how like you know you can't make this movie anymore there's no one who's gonna put the money and time and effort into something like this anymore and it's so fucking intense and the tension is just based off of a fucking truck and then you, you look at these Marvel movies, and all of it is weighted upon these incredible spectacles and CGI uh, extravaganzas, and it just feels meaningless and weightless and shallow. 
Yeah. And what the fuck is the point of this? If it's like, it's just, it, the whole point is just like to give you dopamine and that's it. And it's not to engage you in any other way other than just to like make your brain chemicals fucking fire for a little bit. Right. It's, it's, it's shit. It's, it's dog shit. They've well, that... they've done a great job of uh, I think swapping or not even really swapping because TV's not impressive anymore, but turning film essentially into what television was before, where the only reason why you're showing up at the theater is because you're you're still hooked on the idea that there's going to be some payoff here that you watched all 20 films that led up to this one, uh, and and that there's going to be some kind of reward at the end of it. Uh, and that was supposed to be, I guess, like Endgame or Infinity War where everybody died and they were brought back for the next one. And then one or two major players died because their contracts were up and they knew better than to continue on down this path. The movies um, have turned into the WWE. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. It's like reoccurring characters and they come back and we're going to do the th- same thing again, same storylines. And, you know, this is what people like. And it's, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's trash. Um, you know, Sadly, I actually had I'm actually not supposed to talk about this, so I'm not going to talk about any specifics. I have a thing that I, I, one of my videos being adapted into a docu series actually. And at first, when the producer who called me, what he said was like, we can't turn this into like a like a um, like a feature because we can't have this amount of lions in this in this in this uh movie we 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 just can't have this in the 70s they would have done that oh yeah yeah so you know right (laughs) have you (laughs) seen roar Roar? okay i don't know what that is oh you gotta you have to check out roar trust me this is roar is a better version you're not getting what i'm saying here i made a video about roar oh 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 lost i think so you're not getting what i'm saying here no so i'm not supposed to talk about it right they are they are adapting my thing but the oh, producer wow. he said it he <laughs> said we can't have these many lions and tigers in 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 a, in a movie made about this thing oh. we cannot do that feasibly do that anymore well I, I i think a lot of that has to do with just the idea of what kind of role a director serves on a on a set nowadays right you don't have the william freaking types or um who did roar who's the director of roar uh Uh, Noel, Noel, noel marshall yeah you don't have guys like that anymore who decide to buy 80 lions and then sell their homes so they can take care of the lions and then endanger their (laughs) their children and their wife um yeah, I, I, so somebody like William Friedkin, too, like the stories that came out about him on the set of The Exorcist, where he's just firing a gun behind Ellen Burstyn's head or whatever to try and get the right reaction shot. And he, nobody knows he's even carrying a gun on him. Like Can't that, do that, I mean, that would never be tolerated. Now. They don't like you even saying anything negative about somebody who might be under the same agency as you, uh, let alone pulling stunts on a set. So I think it's part, partially that. It's a lot of, well, we can just take care of this with, with CG. There's no reason to fly out a crew to Brazil or wherever it might be. Um, it, it, it's gotten so far away from what it was originally. because There's some... Um, sorry, go on. I, I was just going to say, just because... And this is something I, I said recently about um, like that Amazon store where you don't have to uh, address like a clerk or anything. You just walk out with the stuff after you scan it. Uh, they mistake certain conveniences 
for uh, progress just because they are conveniences when in actuality I think you lose a lot of the character of an experience when you go down that route it is that kind of weird thing where it's like yeah this this works so don't don't try and fix it it worked before keep doing that you know but as this technology progresses people think that oh that's the only way to do it now which is this weird kind of thing where you don't have any historical historical perspective and it's so easy to see that historical historical perspective but it it, it seems completely lost in the people who are making movies now mm-hmm. so well there's not really there's not really many like you said how many directors have any power anymore where the uh, studio is going to give them, I don't know, forty million to make their vision. Like Not forty you can, million. You can, what? Oh, sorry. You know, yeah, well, you, you can count. You can count them with maybe what two hands. Directors that you that you that a studio would trust them, maybe not blindly, but will give them a free hand to do whatever movie they want. James uh, Cameron. Oh yeah, he's been working on the Avatar sequels for forty years or so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Never coming out. <laughs> James yeah. Cameron, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you uh, have people like like Reffin and and uh, oh, Trier, I guess, who do no. their own thing, but it's not a studio or not someone that's going to have a huge budget. I guess they do their own thing, but you know, every everyone that gets money now seems to be just like a studio shill that is going to play the game that the studio wants you to play, but they're, they're not going to step away very far from those lines that they draw for you. You got to understand though that it's never it hasn't changed since the beginning of filmmaking. It's always been like this. It's always been a cynical process of what makes money is, is what's king. So, yes, right now we're in a stage where and you know Spielberg predicted it's going the bubble is going to burst like the westerns. You know, COVID won't even kill this. We'll still have WandaVision. Yeah. You know, uh, it's going to still continue. It's what people want to see. And what people don't want to see is a, is a nihilistic, sad, fucked up movie like Sorcerer. So you know that that kind of shit is always going to be like I, I I think I've I, I've got gotten to the point now where like you know I, I went through that whole stage where it's like yeah movies should be better man we should make should make better movies we should have movies that are funded that are great and it's 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 important for American cinema. And it, it's important for um, a lot of reasons, but now it's like, no, all of those movies were made at, at the behest of people who actually gave a shit about it and went against all odds against them. Um, there has never been a time period where, maybe in the 70s at one point, where they kind of gave some money out, but it's always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle to actually make good art. Um, and commercially shit that people can like you know now what we have is we have algorithms we can do algorithms and we can look and see exactly what's going to work and we can we can focus group people like crazy and we can use the algorithms on the focus groups yeah and we can figure out exactly what is going to work for people and we can get joss whedon to to to, <laughs> to fix it to make everything better bump up the fucking script and make the, 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 the dialogue quippy. And you know what? Gosh. Good luck. Go ahead. Do that. But there's always going to be people out there making good film and uh, films and good art and, and 
they're always going to struggle doing that. And they're not going to make that much money doing that. That's just, that's reality of life. The, uh, the, the one instance I can think of where things did start to turn is you, you mentioned it, the 1970s because of uh, the success of Easy Rider and then Warren Beatty and his crew kind of co-opting that in the BBS movement uh, changed the priorities of the studios for 10 years, maybe 10 years. And then it all came crashing down. And that's where you get Indiana Jones and Star Wars and this and that throughout the 1980s. It all reverts right back. So, I, look, I actually think there's a pretty reasonable opportunity because everything is going to streaming now uh, for the independent film the interesting, good, well-made independent film to potentially make a comeback uh, because there is a need to up the numbers of just videos that are available on these platforms. And there's so many niche platforms now. I, I mean, you obviously have, like, the big three in Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. But now Paramount Plus has, like, a fairly good library of, um, of TV shows, at least. And you have HBO Max that's trying to offer some competition and criterion channel. So if more of these start to prop themselves up, there could be an opportunity for that. You might have some of these boutique distributors like Arrow or, or whatever make their own films. I know somebody was doing that. One of these, uh, one of these companies uh, that we were looking at recently, like Vinegar Syndrome, I think it might have been, mm. uh, is now also producing films because of the success of their, their Blu- Blu-ray line where they refurbish old weird movies it used to be porno movies and then they got yeah, into yeah. like uh schlocky films in the 70s yeah, yeah exploitation so i think there's uh, as great of an opportunity now than there has been uh probably in 20 years 30 years uh just given the accessibility of everything i yeah i think so i i mean i hope the best i think that what you know movies are going to go the way of like plays and theaters uh you know like the theatrical production plays you know where there's going to be people who are you know they're sophisticated and, and they're they're the ones who enjoy this certain thing and they are going to be you know the ones who put money into this and there's going to be yeah select boutiques um that put out certain um old films or you know but at the same time, I don't think that, like, you know, film will ever get back to the place it, it was in the 70s or even the 90s. Yeah. Even the fucking 90s. Or, <laughs> like, you know, and the 90s were shit. <laughs> the 90s I've, were I've come around to the 90s. I kind of view the 90s now as like the 70s part two because there were so many good indie filmmakers that came up in that time that but you like, don't who... get in any other decade. Okay, so you got like yeah, Noel Bombach, and then you got like wow, that's Noel that's Bombach is that's the first one you throw one. up. <laughs> oh, I, okay, okay, my, my bad, my bad. All right, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Kevin hold on. Smith, Kevin, yeah, Jim Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch, Kevin Smith is shit. Uh, Kevin Smith is dog shit, dude. I'm sorry, Kevin Smith is so bad. Kevin Smith got lucky with one fucking like uh, thing that he yeah he messed up. His tears are cute. Part. You don't think his sad puppy dog eyes are adorable? Oh yeah, what he's crying about the flash <laughs> or what he's crying about. Yeah. I wanna punch him. <laughs> I wanna I punch him. That's every old fan uh feels that way now. Dude, I have like a fucking wait, hold on. 
Clerks X, the special yeah. edition. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have this shit here, but, like, it's like, fuck Kevin Smith. Man, uh, <laughs> what what a disappointment he, he became. There uh, was there was a whole um, uh, thing in the 90s where they were just, like, any du- new director, you know, they have, like, a you know, Sun- Sundance came out, and, you know, there was only, like, 100 people who, like, submitted movies to Sundance when it started, right? That's why Kevin Smith is a thing. And now there's there's a hundred thousand, so you right. can't. If there's no Kevin Smith, that's going to happen randomly. Like that guy, he just was a flash in the pan that worked randomly. You know, maybe his best film was probably like Dogma or something, and even that was like kind of a fluke. But like, you're just not going to have another Kevin Smith or a Robert Rodriguez or you know any of those people who. Or even a Quentin Tarantino, you know, Quentin Tarantino. He, he, uh, good luck trying to fucking make a movie now. If you're Quentin Tarantino, you're gonna still be fucking working in a, uh, you know, um, a movie shop if 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 you're if you're him. Well, a lot a lot of his story is not in his version of the story about how he met Harvey Weinstein and actually a lot of the networking that was involved there. He likes to brush over that. He likes to go with the more romantic. Yeah, I was working in a video store and I just sent in my script and they said, Hey, you're going to be a big director kid. Why don't you do this film? It's like, Oh really? It's that simple. Gee, mister. Great. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, a lot of the problem is we've become so self-referential as a culture that, uh, you know, you have these these people who came up in the 90s who then go on to become entertainers in a certain regard and tell their stories about how they did this and that. And Kevin Smith is probably like the, the biggest culprit as far as that goes. He's made a living just talking about how he got his launch with Clerks, how he made a career out of $20,000. And uh, a lot of people go to that playbook instead of observing their surroundings and trying to follow a path that actually works for the environment that we're in right now um and they just wind up failing they don't they they don't know where to go it doesn't actually pan out how they would expect so i think that that probably plays a part and um i also feel like the like the the availability of equipment and everything else for whatever reason just the excess of it makes it so that it's more difficult to become so oversaturated it, it's it's certainly oversaturated. But I, I, what I was trying to communicate is, though, and I'm I'm not going to probably word it how I have it in my head anyway. I feel like the the readily availableness of everything that you na- need to make a film, like almost like cripples people or handicaps people from from doing certain things or or trying experimental things. I don't know. I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. Just no, I, I I can definitely see that. Like you, you, you now have the ability just to do it yourself, and that is um, that is a hill to climb. You're gonna constantly second guess yourself. I like, I mean, I just make YouTube videos, and I constantly second guess myself. So, you know, if I was to make a fucking feature, <laughs> you know, I would definitely second guess myself constantly. Yeah. And be like, is this what I want to put out into the world? I, I, oh, you know, I know people. Five years they have their feature, and they and they just oh. haven't finished editing it. Oh and god! It's just, it's just there. <laughs> you know, I know so many people like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's that's something that happens. Uh, <laughs> I know I know plenty of people like that. <laughs> um, so, hey, you you interviewed John McAfee, didn't you? Yes. Can, you, you... can we just can we hold that thought real quick? Because I got to pee. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll talk about um, well, Hans, what do you want to talk about? Hans, have you know, seen any? Something. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, which because you because you mentioned the '90s, which '90s director do you think is still putting out quality? I think stuff? Tarantino is putting out quality. <clears throat> I don't think. I mean, we can go down the list. Kevin Smith isn't. Obviously, we talked about that on our episode with Robbie. Um, yeah. Richard Linklater has kind of fallen off, but he's still delivering like a steady, um, right. like a steady product anyway. That is not even bad. if it's it's not outright even if it's bad. The same, yeah, the same right. Thing it's it's just a certain again. level of sameness. Uh, Spike Lee, we know how you feel about Spike Lee. It's because he's a black filmmaker. Um, no, yeah. I think Spike Lee. Don't fucking put that <laughs> out there as a fact. Shit. <laughs> no. Um, no. No. I. So... I. I mean. I. I liked. I liked uh, some of the movies he he put out recently on the first go, and then on subsequent viewings, not so much. Uh, so I think he's probably closer in the Kevin Smith bin than. Yeah. What about like a PTA? Paul Thomas like... Anderson. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of a more acquired taste. Has he got a samurai sword? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What is the the last thing he did? Was that uh PTA? Last thing yeah. he did was it wasn't inherent. Oh, it was uh what was it? The uh the Daniel Day Lewis movie that he came out of retirement the dress, for. The dress movie? Did you really have to use the bathroom or were you just sharpening your blade the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. What's up, guys? I, gotta, uh, I can do the rest of this with the holding the katana. You should. You absolutely no. should. We were just going down the list of uh, 90s filmmakers who are actually still good today, and we decided Kevin Smith is not, which you obviously agreed with before. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, probably not. Richard Linklater's kind of boring. Uh, Spike Lee's fallen off. I like Tarantino's newer stuff, but I know uh, you know people have their opinions about him. I, I can you think of a lot? He's more eighties though. He had a he had like four or yeah. five films. Yeah, you're right. Uh, prior to the nineties, um, hmm. Vincent Gallo. We don't know. We we, we we've yet to see. <laughs> he doesn't he make like movies and like. When was the last movie he made? He did. He did the Brown Bunny, but he's done at least two feature films in secret that are finished that have been done that he will never show to the public. He says. So we really? can't, we don't know. Uh, who else is a nineties guy? Like Jones. Yes. Yeah. Well, what did he do last? Her, I think. Yeah, that was that was eight years ago. Her was twenty thirteen. Yeah. yeah, it was. I enjoyed her. I remember seeing that like Christmas morning. I like, saw that because Wolf of Wall the... Street was sold out, and I didn't yeah. check the theater before because I I thought I was living in nineteen ninety five and you couldn't buy tickets online. Dude, um, I I I watched Wolf of Wall Street and Her. The exact same, like the, and inside Lewin Davis, the exact same day. That's a good trio. Yeah, 20, was 2013 great. was great for movies. Yeah, it is funny that sometimes there's randomly just like, uh, yeah, those those years that just like things pop off like that. Uh, 2013 also had Place Beyond the Pines, Spring Breakers. Um, I, I like think, both of those movies a yeah. lot. I, I, I what about was, the, what yeah. about the Oscars for this year? 
What's what's happening There's there? No Oscars this year. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't have to talk about that. I hope Alex Jones like shoots all of them. <laughs> <laughs> fucking baby fuckers. Oh my god! What? So we're, we're going to tune in for three hours so we can see Nomadland win. That sounds like a great time. Uh, so we can see Frances like... McDormand win another award and say something with her mean scowling face. Great. With her De- Willem Dafoe face. <laughs> yeah. She does look like Willem Dafoe. You're right. Jesus. Oh my god. Uh, Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne is somebody who kind of falls mm. off in the middle, but I liked the Beach Bum and I like Spring Breakers. I haven't seen uh, Beach Bum yet. It's pretty good. It's uh, it's not like any of his movies before. It's very like hammy comedy, but it's Matthew McConaughey, Harmony Corinne, same cinematographer as Spring Breakers, and Martin mm-hmm. Lawrence is very funny in it too. So I thought it was good. Uh, Martin Lawrence is a good comedic actor. Yeah, yeah. He's he's somebody who. Uh, I think gets brushed under the rug nowadays because of Big Mama's House one through three, and people kind of undervalue him. But he's fucking great. I like those movies. I like yeah. him in that, and I like him in uh, what's it called, Blue Streak. Blue Dave Streak, yeah. in that movie as well. That's a sick. That's actually a good movie. I, I think that's like, well, it's not good. It's like it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. The 90s are the perfect era for not good movies, but fun movies, I think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of comedies like watch, that. Do you guys watch Black Knight with Martin Lawrence? Yeah. That movie was my like my my childhood. It would just repeat. Like, they would just replay it over and over again on TV. That's the one he just... goes back into medieval times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I always remember that that scene where he, he, he lights the, um, what's it called? The lighter. And then he's like, "Yeah, it's I got fire here." And they're like, "It's just fucking fire." Like, you know, like, do you remember that scene? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no. no, I just remember him wearing like a jersey with like an armor or whatever. But what the VHS um, art, the poster art of the movie? That's what you remember. Very, he was very, very underrated in those times. And, and yeah, like you said, uh, unfortunately, Big Mama's House have made it into this. I guess Eddie Murphy in the '90s figure, uh, where it's just fat suits, but. He's usually very good in that in those bad boy movies. He's very good. Yeah, I, I haven't watched the bad boy movies in a long time. I gotta rewatch those. Um, oh, we were gonna talk about before. I said you interviewed John McAfee, which you confirmed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't believe you would dare ask a man about his murders in an interview. <laughs> How? What? What? What compelled you to do such a thing, Oki? First of all, I'm kind of retarded, so, you know, <laughs> I went there, um, but no, but honestly, um, his thing was, his, we had a Zoom call, right before it started, he was like, you, you have 18 minutes, which was the most arbitrary amount of time ever to it's get someone It's also very welcoming, in. very, it makes you feel yeah. good about the interview, yeah, you have 18 minutes of my time. It was like, okay, and so, and he was lagging like crazy. And I had it planned that I'm going to ask him about the murders, right? Because I talked to his hitman. His hitman, like if you watch my John McAfee series, his hitman contacted me and he was like, well, he's a legend hitman. Right, right. yes. Okay, so we, yeah, Mac we should 10, probably say that. Yeah. Mac 10, yes. Contacted me and talked to me. He's like, yeah, I did not kill the guy and whatever. And, but it, it's, it's probably, I think it's like 99%. I'm 99% sure he, uh, McAfee hired someone to kill this guy, right? So I was like, I'm going to ask him about that. 
um, he was lagging like crazy. If you watch the video, it's right after a huge leg spike where I'm like, okay, so what about, um, so I talked to Mac 10 and, uh, he told me that, um, uh, you know, you didn't hire him and whatever. And what about Greg Paul? And then, you know, he kind of freaks out a little bit, but he's still on board. And then his wife in the background, Janice McAfee kind of starts talking in his ear. And then that's like, I think because it was her in the background, but he, I think he would have been on board if she wasn't, she wasn't there to like, um, tell him to not, um, to like hang up on me or to just not like, incriminate himself. On yeah, yeah. But he would have, I, I don't think he would have, I think he would have lied. He would still lied, but he would still, he was, would have still been okay with talking about it. But I don't think he knew who he, who I was because he was asking people, like he was asking anybody who has a podcast to invite him on. So I don't know if he knew I did a series on him. Um, but whatever. Has he been caught? He got caught, didn't he? Yeah, no, he's been in, he's been in prison for the past five months. What? Six months now. Yeah. yeah. But he was caught by the IRS. He's, Where he was he? Spain. Oh. Yeah, he went on a freedom boat, which he called it. Um, and he was like, IRS, I haven't paid my taxes in eight years. Come and find me. Uh, and they, they, they found him. <laughs> you know, so. Catch me if you can. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's you like did... stupid catch Shit. me if you can. Like the stupid version of the movie, catch me if you can. Which is a great Spielberg movie, by the way. Spielberg. Even though he ruined cinema, Spielberg, good director. Uh, are you excited for the John McAfee film, King of the Jungle, that's coming out? I don't know if it's ever going to come out. It's been in pre-production for like the past like forever. Yeah, Zach Efron was supposed to play him, and then last I saw, what's that guy from Birdman? Michael Keaton um, is playing Mike, him now. Yeah, it was supposed to play him. I don't know if it's going to. They come replaced out. Zach Efron with Michael Keaton. Better choice. <laughs> better choice. Maybe. It's a much better choice. I love Michael Keaton. He's one of my Zach- favorite actors. I was thrilled to hear that. Um, such a weird way to go. Much better way to go. They should just get Peter Berg to play him at this point. Uh, you know, like, yeah. who gives a fuck? That, oh, no, you could give it to Peter Berg, and then it could be Mark Wahlberg as John McAvee. Yeah. And he can complete the, the what was it, like the Natural Disaster Trilogy or the Crimes Against Humanity <laughs> film? This time he, can, he can actually stop 9-11. Yes, yeah, yeah. He yeah. can stop the oil spill, BP oil spill, and stop 9-11 and save all the firemen yeah <laughs> boston bombing film that was that was so dull i i worked on that film as an extra and oh really yes it was uh it was it was very boring and i didn't get paid at all i got tricked into it because my friend was like well you never know what can happen and we showed up and it was like 10 hours standing around on a what do you think was gonna happen <laughs> i thought i was gonna be a star hans i thought they were gonna go you Hey, Why don't you deliver too- this line? Hey, we got Mark Wahlberg right here. You want to talk? To, you want to have lunch with Mark Wahlberg? They gave me a fucking ham sandwich and said, "See you later, kid." Terrible time. Hey, kid, here's your chance. <laughs> Give a hand job to Mark Wahlberg in the trailer. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna get a credit. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, he did that one. He did the, uh, the what was it, BP oil spill, and he did uh, Last Survivor, or American Survivor, Soul Survivor. You know, you know uh, Lone Survivor. I Lone think Survivor. Like, but you know, like, Peter Berg was, used to be, like, a character actor. 
Yeah, in the nineties, he was. Yeah, uh, he was in this last seduction movie. He was like the main character in this really good femme fatale noir movie that was actually a TV movie, but it was actually really good. It's like my favorite femme fatale femme fatale neo noir movie. Yeah, he's 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 always great for playing like a very rough around the edges kind of uh, shady, sketchy kind of character. Especially because he looks like a crackhead. Yeah, his teeth are all yeah. fucking jagged and, and a mess. So you and he like talks with like a bit of a like a slur a little bit, like he's been drinking or something. It's just like him talking over his own tongue. Uh, yeah, he's great. Kind of looks like uh, Hunter Biden's retarded cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could he could play Hunter Biden. That would be wonderful. That would be a good movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what else can be said? On, on this episode of movies, we've covered so much. Uh, any final thoughts on Sorcerer before we close out for the evening? Um, yeah, okay, yeah, so I'll do it quickly, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that whole thing about having that device of the narrative device of the, of the truck it can blow up at, at any second. It was later adopted by Speed. Speed is pretty much like the the commercial reach retread pretty much what Wages of Fear and Sorcerer does, and it and it's I'm not surprised that it ended up being like I don't know how much money it made, but it probably made a fuck ton of money, you know. Um, I'm not surprised that someone eventually like used that in another script, and I definitely believe that Speed is inspired by um, Wages of Fear and Sorcerer. But it is just like it's so fucking good. Like the idea of just like it can blow up at any second. You got a little bump, boom. Beautiful, beautiful. That's movie. also the crank movies with Jason Statham. Yeah. That, that, yes. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I didn't think about that. Which uh those films are a lot of fun. I don't typically like like dumb action movies that uh, you know, are kind of mass produced with the same set of guys every single time, but those movies are are wild. Those that, that that's a great deal of fun. Uh, I haven't seen Speed in a minute, uh, but Dennis Hopper's the the villain in that film, isn't he? Yeah, he's good in it. Yeah, he's he for some reason he was like the go to bad guy for every '90s movie. Like he got cast as Koopa for Super Mario Brothers yeah, as well. Right. Oh, okay. And he just he's a reliable guy to ham it up and and go to a level ten each time. He's the antagonist. That's a movie I really want to revisit too. Someone's like working on a 4K remaster or 35 millimeter remaster. Like people do this in their spare time. They did it with Michael Mann's The Keep, which is like a weird um, Nazi Germany vampire monster film from the 80s. They refer like refurbished this this movie all on their own. Someone's doing that with the Mario Brothers movie from the early 90s. So I mean, I guess I guess it's colorful enough. I guess that world they created is kind of interesting in a nice way you... but I, but i don't understand the point it's a really bad movie the mario movie <laughs> that, that has point? to be pretty expensive that's probably at least like a ten thousand dollar project to to do all that and put that together so just do it just do it with do it with manhunter yeah do it with like it's a good bad. michael mad movie it's very, we should do an episode of that. It's very. I, I saw it recently, the Super Mario. You, you it's very, it? Yeah, it's very ni- 90s. Of like, course you can't it is. Miss it. It's it has just John Leguizamo. Everything about it. Oh, yeah, everything. man. Tom Hoskins. 
Yeah, it's 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 uh it's enjoyable in uh if you like shitty movies, really. Have you it's, have it, you seen John Logazama in, in the past? Uh, Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Pest is a '90s movie. I haven't seen that in ages, though. Uh, it's 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 awful. It's not even good. Bad. It's just like it's the most obnoxious, like ear grating eye fucking burning movie of all time. That's it's like career. I hate every... <laughs> yeah, that's 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 him. That's <laughs> that's not the movie. Fucking that's fucking John Leguizamo. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie Sheen's pretty fucking. We were on uh, one of our live streams. We were just playing clips of him in drag doing his one man show for HBO, and it's just like oh. the most insufferable shit. It's not charming in the slightest. Just it's... racist. Yeah, yes, it's... horribly racist towards Latino people. Yeah. This is why bullying me. Like he should have got bullied, John Leguizamo. Yeah. If he got bullied, he wouldn't be John Leguizamo. Exactly. You know? I think the the only thing he's really done recently was the happening. Speaking of Mark Wahlberg, he was in the happening as like a teacher, mm-hmm. and that was no. He geez, he was in the Mandalorian. Ago. That was huge. Was he? Yeah, he was in an episode of that. Um, there's I haven't, this, I haven't watched it. Uh, a series called Critical Thinking. Uh, a, a, a true story about the Miami Jackson High School chess team. Oh wow! That's um, that's um, great. He was in one episode of Warjack Horseman. <laughs> yeah, John Wick too. Oh yeah, he, he's like a like a big role in John Wick, right? I think that's like his biggest thing recently. Is he the dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he plays John Torturo in John Wick. I don't oh. know if you've seen him. He looks exactly the same as, as John Torturo. That's that, that's the only theatrical release he's done. I I bought a one dollar DVD from Walgreens. Also called King of the Jungle, no relation to the John McAfee film, because I was just in like a gritty '90s New York movie mood, and that's what yeah. it was advertised as on the DVD case. And I brought it home, and it was him uh, playing a retarded guy raised by two lesbians, and the mother stabbed, and he's like really trying to get like an Emmy. It was a made-for-TV HBO movie. He was trying so hard to get an Emmy. He executive produced it. It was the most embarrassing piece of shit I've ever had on my television. I gotta say, there hasn't been like a, an actor going for like an award by playing a retarded person in a very long time. I, I can't remember the last actor doing. I am that. Sam. That was the, that, yeah, that, that was twenty like, years ago. Now that was literally like yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like seven. That was the last guy. genuine push, I think. Um, now, you can't really do that at the moment because Hollywood is too nervous. They start sweating when you even suggest that. Well, they yeah, have. They... To get actual down syndrome person now to play the and that's yeah. 50 times more uncomfortable to watch that makes me even more uneasy because i'm like have oh, you seen Ro- rosie o'donnell and riding my uh, riding oh, yes. oh yeah oh, <laughs> oh, oh, we yeah. should do an episode on that oh, that's a funny one yeah. she's like constantly even... talking about pooping yeah. like that's the whole thing i don't poop in the toilet like that's her whole thing oh my god the they even stopped casting Channing Tatum because he kind of looks retarded. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah. I thought you were just dropping in. Uh... Him and Foxcatcher, he literally plays the retarded guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, what, what did you think of Fox? Foxcatcher the story uh, is something that I thought really could have been, because I, I read the book prior to seeing the, the movie. The, the movie is shit. The movie it's sucks. The movie is sucks. terrible. Um, the, the action story is way, way better. Yes. And the book is unintentionally hilarious because it's just a guy not understanding that his coach was, like, making a bunch of gay advances on him. 
I like the, <laughs> he he was just assembled a team on his own to hang out with the boys. He couldn't wrestle yeah. at all. He couldn't coach at all. But he wanted to see like men wrestling and like join in. And they yeah. had to like fake being pinned by him and stuff. All of um, them had to like, yeah, they had to like, yeah, play into his whole delusions. Yeah, and he and they were I think like, he you did. Know, he did an award on. show or something that he like financed just to give himself an award for best coat. Like the whole story is fucking insane and hilarious, and it could have been. And even with that cast of Mark Ruffalo and Steve Carell and Channing Tatum, they could have nailed it. And they went with a super serious, like, yeah, people died sad yeah. movie like and the director isn't he's, he's not like a bad director no I, I forget his name but like he's only made like three movies i think he made modern call he made something else as well but he was like he's good ish like i don't know like but they made that movie and it's just like a bunch of hollywood actors playing dress up it was just weird and stupid and yeah. useless. Steve Carell's prosthetics they were, they were utterly pointless. It was entirely to get an Oscar. Like, wow, can you believe he's he's doing this? He, he changed. He made his, his nose two inches bigger. <laughs> yeah, like, and the guy, the guy doesn't even look like that. He looks closer to like the real Steve Carell than whatever penguin monster and, he decided to play. And in his, the movie. his accent, the, the voice that he put himself to, and then coach, after that he had this coach is a father. <laughs> what the fuck does he say? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he does this whole thing. Like it's like you know, it, it's like the, the movie's made for a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. They they just wanted to get Oscars with it. There was no heart yeah. or soul in that movie. Um yeah. Yeah. the director the director Bennett what's his name? Bennett, Bennett Miller, Miller Bennett Wentworth. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Bennett Miller, he did Capote and he did Moneyball and he hasn't done anything since Fox Moneyball is a good movie and like Capote yeah. is like all right, you know. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time it does like I think I hate certain directors. This is something that's why I like mentioned Mick G earlier. Um I hate these directors that they just take these real life stories and then they just like they do this and then they get great actors to play dress up and it's just like it's all by the numbers and it just the story tells itself and it also feels kind of weird so, in my opinion when they do um when they do like a true crime uh like source material uh, story for a movie that's somewhat recent which was i mean i think that's always been the case and we maybe didn't realize it before like i was thinking back to um there's this movie star 80 that was released yeah. in 1980 oh yes I like Star 80, though. Yeah. Star, no, yeah. Star 80 is fantastic. Yeah. Star 80 is a great movie. Uh, yeah. And that happened, like, that must have, I guess I was doing the math in my head, like, all right, this, this girl in real life died in 1980, which means this movie had to be put into production probably within a year and a half of her death, which seems so, almost, like, it seems kind of disrespectful. Like, the, the corpse yeah, isn't even cold it. yet, and they're going to make some money off of this. Um so the movie does come out well, that in 1983. Was, that was her life, right? Like it's a it's a uh, a nice ending to close her story, I guess. That even in her death, she was being exploited. Yeah, I guess she yeah. was twenty. Years, she only made it. <laughs> that to That is 20. a really good point. You know, at the same time, I, I do want to like, you know, Bob Fosse is like just such great. He's such a great director. Yeah, he's done so much. Like all that jazz is like it, it's a fantastic movie. Cabaret is shit, by the way. But all that jazz, fantastic movie, um, really, really great. Eric Roberts, man. Eric Roberts in in Star Eighty, 
that's his best performance. Like he's he does a performance like every fucking week, but that's his best performance of all time. He's so good at playing a sleazeball. He's yeah, he's terrific in the 1980s. Uh, especially he does that, and I think his second best performance is probably Pope of Greenwich Village. That movie's uh, very very good as well. Uh, not to star 80 levels, but he's terrific in it. He's a better Patrick Bateman than Christian Bale in Star 80. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's talking into the mirror and yeah, he's so weird and creepy. He's got like my mustache and he's wearing a fur coat. <laughs> he yeah. looks like he looks like legit like he looks like you know the name Ratso Rizzo from uh what the fuck is that movie? Uh, uh, Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the name is Ratso Rizzo. Like it fits Dustin Hoffman's character in that, but it could also fit uh Eric Roberts. In Star 80. But yeah. this is like that name. Just like that slimy, fucking stinky name. And Ratso Rizzo. I feel like everybody knows a, a guy who's kind of like him. Where he's like, oh yeah, I got connections. And he like vaguely knows someone who's deeply annoyed by him. Who's not like an yeah. actual friend. <laughs> but yeah. still tries to force the interactions. Like he's he's so great in that movie. He's good. Yeah. It's surprising. He's Which... also good in that Killers uh, music video. I'm I'm sure, you know, maybe one of his 100 projects in development right now on ITV will be, will recapture that energy. I don't know. I might be talking to Eric Roberts at this moment for something. I don't, uh, who, you who's should. to say? That would be amazing if that would happen. That would uh, be great. I'll give you a tidbit or something after we're, we're done on the show. But all right, that, that, I think, I think that's a pretty good note to go out on for this episode. So Oki, why don't you uh, give your plugs? Okie's Weird Stories. I make documentaries. They take forever to make. Uh, make like two videos a year. They're all fucking good. Watch them. Yeah. There we go. All right. And uh, Hans, your Hans Memorial. Hans Memorial on Twitter and uh, what? Patreon? What is it? Patreon.com slash Lorez. Yeah. That's where this episode will drop probably tonight. And then uh, the audio of it will be out in a couple of weeks on iTunes and Spotify, and I'll shoot you the links to that, Oki. All right, sick. Yeah. All right, that has been Movies for this episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>